Welcome to Revival from the Bible, a daily devotional podcast where we dig into God's Word together and find life through Jesus Christ. My name is Ben Blakey. It's Monday, the 6th of July, 2020. I hope you had a great weekend celebrating the 4th of July, or as we call it, Independence Day. That is, of course, the day we remember and celebrate the beginning of our nation with the Declaration of Independence back in 1776. You spent your weekend celebrating the beginning of a nation. But as we open up God's Word today, we're going to read about the end of a nation. And as we do so, I think we'll find some things to pray about for our own nation that we live in right now. So the first passage I want to look at today is 2 Kings 24 and 25. And it's we are ending the book of 2 Kings today, and we're reading now, I guess, about the end of the nation of Judah. Remember, after King David, there was King Solomon, and after King Solomon, the kingdom is divided into a northern kingdom called Israel and a southern kingdom called Judah. Well, earlier last week, we read about the northern kingdom of Israel being conquered by the Assyrians, and today, we're going to read about the southern kingdom of Judah being conquered by the Babylonians. And if you start there in verse 1 of 24, it says, In his days, Nebuchadnezzar, you probably heard that name before, king of Babylon came up, and Jehoiakim became his servant for three years. So we see already the Babylonians are coming in, and the the people in Judah under king Jehoiakim are put in a position where, uh, you know, They have to give tribute. They are serving the Babylonians. But then he turned and rebelled against him. And so the Lord sends in these bands of Chaldeans and bands of Syrians and bands of Moabites and bands of the Ammonites and sent them against Judah to destroy it according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by his servant, the prophets. And then God explains why. In verse 3, Surely this has come upon Judah at the command of the Lord to remove them out of his sight for the sins of Manasseh according to all that he had done. Remember, we read about King Manasseh recently and how he was an awful king and idolatry and bloodshed and even offering up his son as a sacrifice. Verse 4, And also for the innocent blood that he had shed, for he filled Jerusalem with innocent blood and the Lord would not pardon And so we see God bringing judgment and God bringing judgment on behalf of that sin. And then we see King Jehoiachin take over and he only reigns three months because King Nebuchadnezzar comes up and besieges Jerusalem and he takes Jehoiachin and he takes many of the things and many of the people away into exile. And then after that, we see he sets up this man, King Zedekiah, as the king. And it says in chapter 25 that eventually he rebels against Babylon. And that's when Nebuchadnezzar comes back. And this is the end. This is when he he, he destroys the city. The temple is destroyed. I mean, this is the end. So it's kind of has come in waves, but this is the final wave where the city of Jerusalem and especially the temple are destroyed. And this would have been a tragic thing. I don't know if you're old enough. I'm sure you remember where you were on September 11th, 2001. And you remember feeling like you got punched in the gut 
as you watch those towers fall on your television screen. Um, or even just imagine if, if another country came in and you were looking at your TV screen and you were seeing the White House and the Capitol building on fire and the Washington Monument, you know, knocked onto its side, right? How that would make you feel. I mean, that begins to give us a taste of what it would felt like for Jews to see Jerusalem destroyed and especially to see the temple destroyed. I don't think we have anything in our society that would match the importance that the temple had for them. But it's but it's all destroyed in that moment. And then in verse 22 of chapter 25, we see a man named Gedaliah. He's made the governor of Judah. And he tells them in verse 24, hey, don't be afraid, but listen to the king of Babylon. Live in the land and it will be well with you. Well, guess what? Even then, people don't listen to him. And they kill him and they run off to Egypt. We'll see more about that when we read the prophet Jeremiah. But this is a sad, sad time for the people of Judah. It ends on a, a note of somewhat positivity at the end when we read about Jehoiachin being released from prison in Babylon and even getting a spot at the king's table. And that is encouraging to know that although this is the end of the, the nation of Judah, it wasn't the end of God's plan for the people of Israel. And it wasn't even the end of the line of David as we've been reading in Luke about the birth of Jesus. What an amazing thing that is. But even as we read about the end of the nation of Judah, I think it's something that would be maybe good for us to think about is what's, what's going to be the end of our nation? What is the future for America? And I think as Christians, even that there is so much we can thank God for about our, our country. I think we can, you know, fly a flag, celebrate the 4th of, of July with joy in our hearts. But we as Christians should also be concerned when we look out at our country. When we look out at our country and we see God just being rejected when we do see uh, violence, see, even when we read about King Manasseh offering up his son as a sacrifice, uh, even brings to my mind shades of the evil today of the issue of abortion. And we look out at our country and, you know, sometimes we almost ask, can God bless America with how we reject God and how so many are just running away from him? So one thing I want to encourage you today, as you read about the end of the nation of Judah, is I want to encourage you to pray for the nation of America. Let's pray for our country. Let's pray we would see a revival, even like we read about yesterday with King Josiah. People turning their attention back to the word of God. People rejecting their idols. People putting their focus on him and obeying what he has to say. And even as we think about how, how can we pray that, that takes us to Psalm 79, where we read the second half of it today, verses 8 through 13. And, and as we read this, we remember this is a, a psalm that seemed to be connected to the exile, as they were wondering how long, you know, we've seen destruction, the temple has been defiled. And in verse 8, the, the psalmist prays, do not remember us for our former I don't remember against us our former iniquities. Let your passion come speedily to meet us, for we are brought very low. Help us, O God of our salvation, for the glory of your name. Deliver us and atone for our sins for your name's sake. 
And wouldn't that be a good thing for us to pray for our nation, that the God of our salvation would help us? And even that our prayers for our nation wouldn't just be motivated by uh, our own desires and, man, I would really like this country to you know, do everything that I think it should do. But no, we want to see God glorified. And what breaks our heart the most isn't how a down, a, a downgrade in our nation is affecting me and affecting my preferences, but it's how God is not being glorified like he should be. May that be our number one concern and may that be a big part of our prayer. And maybe as you read 2 Kings 24 and 25 and on into Psalm 29, that'd be a good way for you to pray today. Next, we look at Luke 4, 14 through 30. And we read now, in Luke at least, the beginning of the public ministry of Jesus Christ. And he goes back to his hometown of Nazareth. And he goes into the synagogue on the Sabbath is what I guess would have been part of their normal, you know, what we think of as a church service, their normal, you know, Sabbath day synagogue routine. And he does the scripture reading. He takes the scroll and he reads from Isaiah 61. And this is what he reads. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then, this is the moment. He he rolls up the scroll, he gives it back, and he says, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. He's basically saying, Hey, I am the guy. I am the Messiah that Isaiah was talking about. But then things take a turn because people are seem very glad to, to like Jesus, but they seem very slow to really embrace Jesus for who he said he was. And that's what he says they're, they're going to do. And he starts talking about even these Old Testament times when the people of Israel rejected the truth of God or his prophets, but there was somebody else on the outside that God brought in. And this makes them angry. So we see they're not really submitting to Jesus. They're they're still seeking their own desires. And they're so angry that they seek to take him out of town and throw him off a cliff. And hopefully when some of us are able to go to Israel together, we'll, we'll go to the spot where it really seems like this happened. They're on the edge of town, a cliff right there outside of Nazareth, but Jesus, he passes through their midst midst, and he goes away. But he begins his public ministry here today in Luke chapter 4. Finally, our last passage for today is Galatians chapter 3 verses 15 through 29. 15 through 29. And he's continuing to talk about issues of the law and faith and, and all these other things. And he tries to give an example uh, of this whole law that came along, it, it was kind of an interim covenant because he's saying God made a promise to Abraham and, and the law, the law came 430 years after that promise, but it, it doesn't make the promise void because God made a promise that, that his offspring was coming, that Christ was coming and the law was something uh, to get us through until Christ came. It even starts to use the illustration of, of it being a, a guardian. Uh, until Christ came. 
And some of that's maybe hard for you and I to think about now because, well, that's that's all way in the rear view mirror for us now. None of us have lived a life before Christ where all we had was the Old Testament. But I think it is something that, that we can rejoice in. Look at verse 25, which says, But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. That's something you should walk away from spending time in God's word today rejoicing in. Through faith, you can be a son of God, a child of God with all the rights and privileges that go along with that. That is good news. The gospel of salvation by grace through faith, all based on what Jesus Christ did for us. And then there's another effect of that that we see in verses 28 and 29, which is there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female, but you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. And there's a lot of conversation, again, in our country right now, even around ideas of equality, and especially right now around racial equality. And as Christians, you know, we look out at some of this and we have to realize the world, which has rejected God, which has rejected even the idea of God as creator and God as judge and God as all these different things, the world actually has no basis. A secular worldview has no basis on which to look at things like racism and actually give a clear reason why that is wrong. But as Christians who have the word of God, we have real reasons. I mean, even going back to creation, that we are all created in the image of God. And even we all have the same ancestors. We all come from Adam. We all even come from Noah. We have the same blood flowing through our veins. And so it is foolish. It is contrary to God as creator to think that somebody is better than somebody else because of where they were born or what skin color they have. But as Christians, we have even more reason, not just through creation, but because of the cross and through Jesus Christ. That as Christians, those who have put their faith in Christ, we are unified. We are one in Christ. And what a precious truth that is. And it should be a humbling one for for all of us because all of us have had to humble ourselves and admit that we are sinners that need a Savior. We have no legs to stand on higher than anyone else for any reason whether that's an external physical reason or a reason of our background or or what things we've done in our lives, none of that matters. We are all humbled at the cross and we are all lifted up and equal at the cross through Jesus Christ. What an amazing truth that is. And may that be more reason in the midst of our nation to share the good news of Jesus Christ, to share the message that Jesus tried to share of of good news to the poor, liberty to the captive, recovery of sight to the blind, and liberty, freedom to those who are oppressed. The the true way those things are going to come are through the good news of Jesus Christ. Thanks for digging into God's Word with me today on Revival from the Bible. For more resources, check out RevivalFromTheBible.com. To learn more about Compass Bible Church Treasure Valley, go to CompassBible.tv. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you.